0: This is Aliens and Artists, part one of our conversation with Mark Rogers. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Mark is a painter who specializes in depicting contact between human and non-human entities, set within a parallel timeline, where Western settlers encounter aliens. The scenes are suffused with occult and esoteric symbolism and subtext. Mark's body of work is a truly unique and arresting take on these phenomena. In 2009, he and his ex-wife had an unforgettable daytime sighting.
1: Maybe I just wasn't really ready for it. It just happened on a boring, just normal summer evening it was around dusk i was in springfield Oregon, and it was 2009 and i was with my ex-wife she saw it too and we were just walking up um street at centennial boulevard so it's like a two-way street i mean i'm sure other people saw it too but we were just going for a walk and it was early evening um it was still slightly light out and To our right, we see this, I guess it was about as big as a car, and it was an orange glowing fireball, except I wouldn't use the word fire. It looked like it was made out of just like orange magic or energy or something like that. And it cruised by over the houses at maybe 30 miles an hour, and it disappeared behind some trees. And we both saw and looked at each other, and we were just like, what the hell was that? That was crazy. Um, And then, uh, but it happened pretty fast. I wish there was more to the story. We bought a telescope, and we hung out all summer hoping to see something else that was really crazy, but that was about it. I mean, it could have been ball lightning. I really don't know what ball lightning is, but I've always... (laughs) I always hear about that, but yeah, I can't really uh, equate it to anything else. However, I have seen in various UFO documentaries things that look pretty similar to that orange orbish thing that I saw. So,
0: would you say it was spherical or perhaps more ovoid? It was
1: egg-shaped for sure, ovoid. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you said about the size of a car?
1: Yeah, about the size of a car.
0: And what was the weather like when this event transpired?
1: Um, It was clear. Um, I wouldn't, we don't really get much lightning in Oregon either.
0: To your knowledge, has anyone ever reported ovoid ball lightning traveling at 30 miles per hour in perfectly clear skies? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Not that I know of. I've never heard of that before.
0: I'm not aware of that as a climatological phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah. One of the main questions that I have, knowing this event was a real memorable mile marker in your life, is that your work is so richly figured with the greatest hits of human, non-human contact, let's just call it. Was the nature of your work, did it have that kind of content before the event in 2009? Did this event in 2009 shift or impact your creativity in any way? If it did, what would that be? What was the artistic result if there was one?
1: Um, well, okay, so this event happened in 2009. And I guess first I want to say that I've always been very interested in aliens and the occult and extraterrestrials and magic and stuff like that. I was just born interested in all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I watched Sightings and X Files as a kid. I think the movie Alien. My um, dad had me in the theater when I was like one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he took me to that. Well, I think he just wanted to see it, but he brought me there. <laughs>
0: That's quite a youthful initiation.
1: Yeah, so I've always been into this stuff. However, 2009 was the first year I started painting. And I didn't necessarily want to start painting aliens because I was thinking that people were just going to start associating alien paintings with weed. And I Uh just thought it was going to be real tacky. Um, So I painted a lot of other stuff that I was kind of interested in when I first Started getting into it, but then, but I'd wanted to do it for so long. I was, it was maybe, I maybe painted for four or five years before I actually started painting aliens into my pieces. So, so eventually I started doing that, and I was just like, I was feeling pretty good about it, and I have kind of created a, a fantasy world or you know, like a fantasy author would, would create like, they, they inhabit the world that I've created, which is kind of like a pioneer, sort of a, a Western, a Western fantasy world, I suppose.
0: Yeah, we'll get into that in detail, because I have a lot of questions pertaining to this unique combination that you've created in these realms being portrayed. But before we move on from the sighting event, a couple more items to bring into focus. One being the timeline was the sighting occurred in 2009 and 2009 was also the year that you began painting.
1: Yeah, that's
0: true. Do you associate the two?
1: Uh, not necessarily because I had, I had, Started drawing when I was a really young kid. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd always been sort of doing art. I wasn't really, I was kind of getting back into doing art a few years prior to that.
0: Okay, so the two are not necessarily conjoined. The fact that you started painting the same year the sighting took place, would you say the four or five years later when you fully began depicting non human entities? Was that at all influenced by the sighting or were they independent factors?
1: Um, I would say uh, slightly. I mean, if the sighting hadn't happened, I might, there's a pretty large possibility that I might have continued to paint the same subject matter that I do now. But it does, but having an actual sighting does make it a little more compelling for me even though what i'm painting isn't necessarily from ufo it's more it's kind of more of more an imaginative sort of thing but actually having like a concrete experience does add to some maybe it maybe it keeps me going in that direction
0: mm-hmm. and then the other item I'm curious about before we go on to these realms and beings in your work. I'm not sure if this is true because I haven't seen every painting you've done. Maybe some are not displayed, etc. But I had noticed that perhaps one thing you haven't overtly rendered would be that ovoid flame plasma object witnessed by you and your wife, whatever it was you sighted that day. Is that true or am I missing something? Have you painted that event?
1: I haven't painted the event, but I painted that actual thing um, in one painting. Okay. What's it called? It's called. I always forget the names of my paintings. Uh, it's called Prayers to the Magi.
0: Prayers to the Magi. Okay, I'll put a link to that in the show notes.
1: It's kind of. It's kind of in the background.
0: Very interesting. Let's discuss these amazing, beautiful interior, exterior landscapes that figure prominently in your works, this surreal combination they possess. For me as a viewer, because I have long been interested in alchemy, hermeticism, Rosicrucianism, the Western esoterica, for me there's such a strong presence in these works of those traditions, mystical, occidental, occult traditions. And yet, it's also set In the 1800s, with settlers and cowboys, and this Wild West meets non human entities. But it's all cohered into an unprecedented atmosphere. I'm wondering how you happened upon this powerful amalgam, such disparate components braided together into a new world, a surprising realm that underpins your storytelling. How did you arrive at that?
1: Well, I guess, like I said earlier, I've always been interested in um, magic and all of that kind of stuff, um, and occultism and all of that. I'm practicing. I'm a practicing Wiccan, and I've always been just really into a lot of that um, kind of paranormal stuff. I remember being. I must've been like 10. I was at a library and I found a book about astral projection. So, I mean, I've always, I can't ever not remember being interested in that kind of stuff. And I was raised Catholic too, you know, so, so stories about people coming back from the dead, you know, first thing. Yeah. Um, so, but as far as getting into the pioneer junk goes, well, when I started painting, I, I, realize right away that I did not want to have the characters in my stories, in my paintings and stories, wearing clothes and outfits that would be instantly dated like 10 years from the time that I had painted them. Like I didn't want to paint characters wearing Nikes and stuff like that. Well, Nike I mean that's maybe a bad example because they they'll they'll be here in like ten years, but I wanted to make them wearing clothes and I wanted the buildings to be a little bit more timeless, I suppose, or out of time. So I kind of started I went to a pioneer museum here in Oregon. There are a lot of them. And I was also kind of raised with the Oregon Trail video game and stuff like that. And I always thought it was super boring, but at the same time, it captured my imagination a little bit. And I've always been a huge fantasy nerd. People often assume that I'm into sci-fi and I'm actually not really into science fiction all that much. Despite the fact that I do paint a lot of aliens, I've always been into fantasy and fantasy novels and I decided that I wanted to create my own fantasy world. And this world was set kind of, it's, it's really not in the United States or anything like that, but it's based on that. And instead of elves and trolls and trollocks or whatever, it's aliens. So it's like an American version of, the fantasy world that you would normally picture in like medieval England or whatever so that's kind of where it comes from and all of the magical stuff is kind of like me throwing in my weird spirituality and trying to sometimes I sometimes I'm inspired by just different aspects of of that and other times I'm just Literally creating a story and a narrative that the characters are acting. I don't know if that totally answers the
0: question. Yeah. yeah, that answers it.
1: It's a fantasy world. Like I've drawn out a map for it. I write backstories for the characters. It's called the Southwestern Bellows.
0: It's literally Western esoterica. Is that fair? I it's love- a
1: Western, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and it is dislocated from the historical timeline in this unique way. What I find so beautiful about this recontextualization, this reframing of human, non-human contact, is that it really does deliver a fresh set of eyes, an unexpected perspective, especially infused with the occult symbolism and themes. It evokes the enigma of how consciousness, spirituality, the big interiors of human beings are inextricably tied to contact itself. I wonder if you hear from a lot of experiencers, you must. I have to imagine contactees are reaching out to you with some frequency.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. A lot. Yeah.
0: Almost once a week. And what do they say when they reach out?
1: Well, usually it's through Instagram. So... Usually, like Instagram, uh, direct message, and usually the the messages are pretty short. Um, people will just relate their encounters, pretty similar to you know, like a really short condensed version of. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the podcast, the Jim Harold Campfire. Yep. Or like podcasts where people share their stories. I mean, it's pretty similar to that. Um, usually, alien related. Sometimes they're. Uh, you know, sometimes they they take place in people's dreams. I've noticed a lot, uh huh, or they actually manifest in the real world. I've had other paranormal experiences outside of outside of aliens too. So I'm always pretty, or outside of seeing that one UFO. So I'm always always really interested in hearing what people have to say. I love it.
0: Can I ask about your other paranormal experiences? Are there any you'd be open to sharing today?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I remember, this wasn't my first one, I don't think, but I remember having a really, really intense out-of-body experience at outdoor school, of all things. It was around the first time I actually meditated. I'd never done that before, but it was something that they were uh, kind of teaching us at outdoor school. But I remember it being nighttime and me and all the other kids, I think I was a sixth grader, me and all the other kids were walking to a campfire and we were all going to tell stories around it or whatever. And we were all in a single file line. And then all of a sudden I was in the woods, like pretty far away from the rest of the group. And I was watching all of us walk to the campfire so i was like watching myself i was maybe 30 feet away and i was just like a watcher in the woods watching myself with all these other kids wow and that kind of kind of tripped me out and i got really freaked out and then i like snapped back into my body kind of like a like a rubber band it was just like i just went back into it and that was pretty weird i've seen a couple ghosts
0: Wow, And you had read a book about astral projection at the age of 10, did you say? Yeah.: Do you feel like this was a delayed, spontaneous expression of your precocious study of astral projection earlier in your life? Or would you not draw a line between those two?
1: I don't know if I, I'd never actually made that connection before. I remember practicing some of the exercises in that book when I was younger it was not very successful results i suppose i tried i would try a lot of those exercises when i was a kid and i still
0: do (laughs) a 10 year old kid practicing astral projection seems like an auspicious introduction into the occult arts
1: yeah and just like all things psychic and just all that stuff i was like into it
0: (laughs) this brings up a beautiful point of inquiry i was eager to speak with you about that is, art, painting, creativity, as modes or forms of occult practice, as mystical paths, traditions. I know you said you're a Wicca practitioner. I'm wondering how you conceive of your own creative life. Is it intimately braided with your Wicca practice? In a general cosmological sense, how do you conceive of the creative life? Is it sacred to you?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It's like it's my purpose. I feel like I I have to do it. It was like as far as all of those things go, hmm, that's kind of it's kind of a big question. I have to sort it out a, a tiny bit. I guess I guess they're all sort of practices for me. So I've got like I practice yoga, I practice meditation, I practice Wicca, I practice art. Mm. And they are all pretty tied together. I guess if you were to describe my Wiccan practice, it would be like an art-based Wiccan practice. And I use a lot of those techniques to help me generate more art ideas. I read tarot cards. I use tarot spreads when Mm -hmm. trying to create new narratives. But I use tarot... In in that regard, I mean, I do practice divination. But I practice, I use the tarot more as a tool for creativity, I, I suppose. Mm. More like a more like a prompt, mm-hmm. I guess. If you were looking for a creative prompt, I'll use the tarot for a prompt. More like a tool rather than like I'm trying to literally channel a being that's gonna shoot a cool painting idea into my mind.
0: Yeah. There's this tension in your paintings. They're not just depicting contact. There seems to be, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say sinister, but if we were speaking musically, I would say there's an interesting minor chord in your progressions, maybe even a flat five, which is to say the paintings are infused with a perplexing tension. Slightly oniric, it's one of the more arresting emotional qualities about them. I wonder if you could speak a bit to this subtext that runs through the work. There's an ambiguous nature as to what exactly the relationship is between these human and non-human entities. At the same time, they are oddly chill. Like, there's a meditative quality to them at the same time.
1: Yeah, um... I would describe them as being um, maybe chaotic neutral, maybe maybe um, chaotic evil. Yeah, there there's definitely latent evil happening there, um, or something sinister for sure. That might be because I'm just really attracted to stuff like that. I do love metal, <laughs> but um, but. Uh, and I love horror movies. Um, I like the possibility that something scary could happen without actually showing something scary happening. Yeah. I'm not really into gore, but I like the uh, idea of of yeah, some something bad might happen. Is make is a lot more interesting than like after the fact,
0: right? Yeah, they're always exuding this potentiality which never quite manifests. So. We remain in this suspended state of expectancy. It's really quite brilliant. And simultaneously, that enchanted hypnotic quality these paintings have is counterintuitively relaxing. Taking in your work, I feel myself at once being calmed and unsettled. <laughs> like, what may go awry here? That's like
1: how I am in real life.
0: (laughs) That's so wild. I can feel that and confirm that somewhat already in this conversation. It's a great artistic coupling, for sure. I think the next question in that line of thought is what we just described about these paintings. Is that in there? Because when you contemplate human-non-human contact, that menu of abduction, contact, craft sightings, Hi, strangeness. Do you feel these qualities of tension we just described are intrinsic to the phenomena as they appear in the so-called real world? Or is that tension in your work more of an aesthetic value?
1: Um, both, but maybe you described a little bit more with the real world type stuff. Like being abducted definitely was one of my biggest childhood fears. I I definitely was pretty afraid of that happening. You know, that's, that's terrifying. Also, this is kind of strange and sort of funny. Just the way that I would normally think about a gray or, you know, I have, I have read and, like, heard quite a bit about UFOlogy, and I, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of these stories outside of just what I paint. Even though what I paint is fantasy, I, I like the real stuff. And I, I like learning about it like all these people's, all the stories that people have told me, I can't help but think that that if there really are grays out there that they might be slightly malevolent. And this is kind of interesting. After hearing your mantis story, I've actually painted the mantis characters a couple times, but I've never really heard very many stories about them. And so strangely... I actually just have this weird gut feeling while I was painting them that they are slightly nicer and more helpful and they're evil. Like no, I wouldn't say that the greys are necessarily evil, but just my gut feeling about them is that is that maybe they don't have our best interests in, in mind. And maybe these mantoid creatures, you know, might might be more helpful and kind i just while i was listening to your story i was i was just like oh yeah i have that weird feeling in my gut too
0: very interesting many of our listeners will be acquainted with the numerous manted experiencers on aliens and artists but more generally in the broader body of work on contact what you're relating is corroborated by innumerable experiencers again Very broad picture here, there are variations, but the mantid entities are reported to have perhaps the most interest in and capacity for humans as individuals, and also a concern seemingly for how it's going for us from here forward, whereas the manner in which you describe grace is also, again, very generally a point of grievance. They're said to lack basic empathy, sensitivity, and they're inept in certain modes of the human condition. You're saying while you were painting the manted entities, these impressions came to you then, or was it just in listening to the podcast?
1: No, while I was painting these, and these are like a couple that I'd painted
0: <clears throat> a few
1: years ago, I've, I had had that general impression. While I was working on it, I mean, I like some some things I do believe in. There's some of the things that I do believe in are like the collective consciousness and stuff like that. You know, and if people like yourself and other people are experiencing these sort of things, in order to get some of my art ideas, I kind of have to get into a slightly altered state of consciousness when i'm drawing in my sketchbook that's really important and maybe maybe i am somehow tapping into some of these experiences that a lot of other people are having in some some way i'm not really i'm not really sure i just thought it was kind of an interesting coincidence because i hadn't heard very much about about the mantis type creatures before and i had painting the painting where where it was basically showing the main character how to perform magic and how to yeah how to advance themselves.
0: It's fascinating. I'd like to just underline and affirm this mystery, which is the aggregation of magic practices, yoga, meditation, creativity, altered states, the collective unconscious. If We consider each of these to be an integer in a larger equation. It adds up to an accretion of mutual points of contact, which is to say each of those nodes, those capacities, overlay with each other. They amplify one another to a degree. Personally, as an artist, as a meditator, I do notice a conversation between these various forms of state training endogenous, exogenous, meditative, altered, waking, dreaming, creative flow states. Your work emits that deep multiplicity. These are not paintings that feel slight or ornamental. They convey that signal that comes from genuine immersion in these respective wells of interiority. That leads me to want to ask you about your family, your ancestors. The wider context that you emerged from, are you the black sheep of your family or is there a tradition in this regard with your elders? What was your larger familial ancestral context when you came into this life?
1: I guess I would say I'm definitely a black sheep my my st- stepdad was, was um, in the Franciscan Brotherhood, and he was training to become a priest when he met my mom, um, and he met her through the Catholic Church. So I grew up pretty religious. I had to go like all throughout high school. I had to go to youth group. I didn't want to do any of these things, but I wasn't really into it, but, but it did make me think about a lot of you know think about death and think about you know the soul and stuff like that from a very very early age maybe more than maybe more than a lot of people would as far as other artists in my family none oh wait I have, a, I have an aunt like a great aunt who painted murals and her name is Muriel um, wow. which I think is pretty cool
0: wow <laughs> That's funny.
1: I grew up pretty far away from my extended family. Most of my family is from Arizona, but I grew up in Oregon. My parents moved out of, um, out of Arizona and I was born here, but that's probably why I paint a lot of the desert stuff. It kind of reminds me of going on vacation Mm. and going on trips. When I was a kid, I would go to the desert and my my biological father he lives in palm springs so i go down and i i visit him every so often as far as like ancestors go this is really trippy i don't know much about mormonism however i'm a direct descendant of joseph smith whoa (laughs) pretty funny i didn't know that until just a couple years ago my little brother was doing um our genealogy whoa and it's just through one side of the family. But we have this uh, grandpa who is Mormon. And I do know that Mormons keep a pretty, pretty strong or pretty tight records as far as uh, their ancestors go. So my brother um, researched that and was able to tie us either to Joseph Smith or to Joseph Smith's brother. So,
0: well, Mark, it would be disingenuous if I didn't pause to consider the Mormon piece. The direct descendants from Joseph Smith is so interesting because there is a quality to the paintings that we've spoken of, this quasi-sinister presence lurking in their field. Now that you bring Joseph Smith into it, I wonder if you've read the book Under the Banner of Heaven? No. Okay, yeah. It relates the story of Joseph Smith and the founding of the Mormon Church. Among other things, massacres that took place, all kinds of truly negative events that transpired, origin stories of the Mormon Church. Much of what's in that book has the quality that we were previously exploring in your paintings. So I'm not saying there's a direct line, but it might be interesting to take a look. Maybe I'll send you the book as a strange form of investigation into your ancestral roots. Finding out that you have this direct descendants from Joseph Smith, does it make you more curious to learn about those origin stories or would you rather let it lie?
1: I have watched, you know, a couple documentaries on Mormonism, but it's not something that really interests me all that much. I mean, You know, a lot of people are, he had a lot of kids, (laughs) like a lot, a lot of kids. His brother had a lot of kids, I think too. So there are a lot of people related to him. So I don't really, Yeah. I guess I could totally make up a religion though. I feel like I have that capacity within myself to just be able to make up a religion. Yeah. Maybe I've inherited that. Maybe he was really creative. I'm not sure, you know. I don't feel any tie to him, though.
0: It brings up an interesting question because he did create a religion. Do you think creating a religion is a form of art? Is it an artwork?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do think that the religion could be an expression of. A creative expression. Yeah, and like like any writer, he was creating like a mythos. But hey, I don't really know that much about I, I feel kind of like I shouldn't be talking too much about Mormonism because I really don't know that much about it. I I do know that he received some gold tablets from an alien in the woods, and that's about it.
0: Well, it's funny, it's the all roads lead to Rome sentiment if we look deeply at any religion we find unexplained visual auditory phenomena bizarre encounters with non-human intelligences it's rife in mormonism catholicism buddhism is a nova of this stuff so to have a conversation about spirituality is to have a conversation about non-human entities and to speak of art is to speak of those previous other two i think that you and i having this discussion which leads back to Joseph Smith creating a religion who received these tablets from non-human intelligence. It doesn't shock me. It does not surprise me. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's funny. Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Mark Rogers. To learn more about his work, check the show notes. Black Francis, also known as Frank Black, of Pixie's fame, has written a selection of music featuring flying saucers and alien themes spanning decades. The collection of UFO songs has roots in real-life experience. To begin with, in 1965, the year he was born, a UFO hovered over the top of his childhood home for half an hour. It was witnessed by his mother and numerous other family members. In fact, it remained so long they called the state police, who arrived and chased the craft. Perhaps predictably, the officers were unable to catch the spaceship in their automobile. They join the pantheon of law enforcement workers who have, in abject futility, chased airborne UFOs using earthbound vehicles. In multiple interviews, Black said of his mother's account, quote, My mother's weird, but she's not that weird. She's got no reason to make this stuff up. They thought it was the end of the world. End quote. Black had another experience later in life, a shared sighting with his brother. He described the UFO as a missile-shaped craft that had passed over them as they were playing outside. It was completely silent. He and his brother paused and gazed at the object. After a while, they simply went back to playing. Of this second sighting, he commented, quote, We never talked about it to anyone, not even to each other. And it came up in conversation 25 or so years later. We were both surprised that the other one remembered it. We each thought it was our own weird personal memory and we just found it really surprising that we both had this shared memory of the same thing." For more on Black and the Pixies, and UFO songs check the show notes Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse offering one on work with me Stuart Davis sessions focus on creativity spirituality and non-ordinary experiences to book a session go to theliminalmuse.com or check the show notes If you enjoy the show, consider becoming a Patron. One hundred percent of the financial support I receive from Patreon goes toward... ...Gambling. I gamble, not the stock market, old-school poker, cigars, hooch, a green felt table. The financial losses I incur from these ill-begotten wagers Directly inspire new works of art. Thus, the cycle of creative life continues unabated. This neither pleases nor displeases God, who is without intention or preference. Check the show notes to contribute. I've got a great feeling about this mediocre hand. and crucifix